How are you? Merry Christmas. I'm glad one of you is doing good over here. I heard it. All right. right. What's that? Peachy. Peachy. All right. Peachy. I'm down with that too. Hope you... Good to be here. Good to be with you. Yeah. Merry Christmas, you all. So good to see you on this day after Christmas. This is the few and the proud I see. I didn't expect many, though, this morning, but it's so, so good to see you, and uh, welcome to everyone watching online at carneyefree.com as well. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free, and uh, great to be together. We are going to have a somewhat different worship service today than we typically have, as Tim noted uh, during the worship time. This is really going to be a service that's a little bit less a sermon for me. I have a few reflections that I'd like to share but it's going to be less about a sermon fall from me and more about a sermon from us. Uh-oh. Y'all ready for that? You have an opportunity here today that I really hope that you'll take advantage of. We have an opportunity today to kind of reflect on some of what we have studied and learned together in the Gospel of John, and then perhaps share a word of testimony to others in our church family as it relates to how you personally have grown through the Gospel of John and possibly a next step that God would lead you to take as a result of one of the messages or one of the studies that you personally went through in this beautiful gospel. We're doing this today because um, at the end of the year, I just take more time for reflection. How about you? This is like a really good time to pause and to reflect upon what I've learned in the previous year and then also what I hope to do in the next year. And I'm sure you're doing some of that as well. And I find that there's a certain danger in the church. Let me try to explain it to you. The danger in the church goes something like this. Week after week, consumption of hopefully good content, hopefully. Week after week, consumption of content without equally rigorous application of content. Did you hear that? Are you with me? No, I mean, it, it, come on, you gotta be with me here this morning. This is an interactive church service, okay? Here's the danger. Week after week consumption without serious application. In fact, the book of James, half-brother of Jesus, the author of the book of James says this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, Do what it says. Would you read that out loud with me? Let's read that together here. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Like you you certainly hear in that the danger that if we come into church week after week and get hopefully good content, but then we don't move over to this all-important word called application, how am I being formed by that content and then applying it to, to my life, then we step into this possibility of deceiving ourselves. Okay? The Word of God, the Scriptures, are intended to transform us. Amen? Okay, this is baseline what we believe at Carney Free. The Word of God is intended to transform us. 
which means we have to make that step from content to application. And today I want to give you an opportunity to, to do just that. We have, a, I think, a special service planned, and uh, part of it is going to be seven different readers are going to come out, and they're going to read the seven I am statements of Jesus that are beautifully sprinkled across the Gospel of John, and they're going to share a brief reflection on each of those seven statements. But before that, I want to give you an opportunity to share what one of your reflections would be, an area that you grew out of the Gospel of John, something you learned from the Gospel of John, and then even more important than that, something that you are committing to do, something you're committing to believe, something you're committing to think a little bit differently out of one of our studies in the Gospel of John. And so here's a couple uh, phrases, a couple questions to kind of prompt your thinking related to that. Uh, One takeaway from me, one takeaway for me from the Gospel of John is... What would that be for you? Okay, you're going to have an opportunity to respond to that at these microphones in just a couple moments. You might want to take a moment even to begin writing that down. You can ignore everything I say as you write. Okay, or second, this one, as a result of my studying the Gospel of John, I will do this. I'm going to believe this. I'm going to change this. I'm going to apply this. I'm going to move in this way that I trust God is guiding me to move as a response to his revealed word that has nestled its way into my heart, okay? Let me share with you one of mine, okay? Uh, As I've been reflecting on the gospel of John and what God has done in my life over this past 10 months as we've been studying this together, I, I thought about a couple different times over this past year that I just got to admit I was losing something that is precious to me, which is called the joy of Christ. I I don't know about you, but there's just been such a heavy cumulative weight to life and ministry over these past couple years that at a couple different times over this last year, 2020, I really did okay. I really did. 2021 was hard. There's a couple times in 2021 that I started to lose the fruit of the Spirit called joy. And most people have described me over my life as a pretty joyous person. I think that I am, in general, a pretty joyous person. But I was losing some of that prior to sabbatical. And then even here about a month ago, I started to feel that again. And as I was reflecting on that, you know, my my personal mission statement, if you ever come to my office, you'll see this construction stake. It's my stake in the ground. This is what I'm about. My personal mission statement is to teach and model increasing joy in the radiance of God. Like if I do nothing else, I want to do that. I want to teach and model joy in the greatness of God. And then to equip servant leaders like all of us who would be able to reconcile Carney to Christ. And that's my two things, is that I would teach and model joy and I would equip us as a church, our staff, to be more active as reconcilers fought for the cause of Christ. And as I look back on this year, on a number of occasions, I can see that God used me in the ministry of reconciliation within our church, and I give him th- thanks and praise for that. And I can see a number of times that I've been able to teach on the beauty of Christ's joy, and I've joyously taught on his joy. But I realize that I've missed a critical component on a few different occasions at length this year, and it's this idea of modeling joy. Because the simple fact is, you can't model what you don't have, right? Right? You cannot model, you cannot give to anyone else what you don't have. 
There were a couple seasons in this year for me that I had to pause and reflect and even confess to my family. I'm sorry that I lack joy toward you. I'm sorry that I lack joy in general right now. The burdens of life have kind of weighed on me. And now I'm giving this public confession to church, sorry. (laughs) There have just been those times for me. And I realized in that that part of the issue is I was not abiding enough in Christ. And so the passage that I've been coming back to again and again is, is John 15 in which Jesus says this, I have told you all of this, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the offer of Jesus to us that his joy would be in us and that our joy would be complete because we have his joy. Now, what comes before all of that are these statements that Jesus makes nine times in the previous ten verses. He says this one word nine times, abide. Abide. Remain. Abide. He says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Let my words remain in you and I will remain in you. Dwell in me, and then you will do my work as you dwell in me. Nine times there's statements like that before it says, my joy will be in you, and your joy will be complete. (laughs) Now, I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I can put two and two together on that, that there is a very, very strong correlation between Abiding in Christ and having a settled disposition of joy. And so my I will statement on a couple different occasions in 2021 has been this. When I'm starting to lose the joy of Christ, I will schedule prolonged time to abide in Christ. But the daily devotions were no longer doing it for me this year. The evening family prayer times were no longer doing it for me this year. Men, do you ever take a day off just to get projects done at your house? Anyone else? Okay. Yeah, I do too. Here's a good project to take, to take a, a day off. I'm lacking the peace of Christ. I need to take a day off to dwell with Christ. I'm lacking the joy of Christ. I need to take a day off push a reboot to be able to receive the joy of Christ again. And so for me, I just realized that oftentimes that means a whole day where I'll go to Cotton Mill or I'll go to Yanny and then I might go to the library or wherever and I'll take out my walking shoes because it helps me to pray while I'm walking. Not one shoe, but always two. I take out my journal and I have a few prayers that I am percolating throughout the day. And just saying, speak, Lord, for I, your servant, am listening. Would you refill me with your joy? And I take out a handful of scriptures that I might be memorizing, oftentimes related to joy this year. And I bring my Bible, and I sit, and I wait in the presence of God. And what I have found again and again is that his word is true. Abide in me, and I will abide in you, and my joy will be complete in you again. So that's my I will. I will choose to reset. I will choose to 
take a prolonged day away from life in order to abide in Christ again. And I trust that his joy will come out of that once again. So, um, that's one of my takeaways from the Gospel of John. In maybe a few less words, I'd love to know what one of yours is. And this is intended to kind of be a testimony time for the church that perhaps you would share a few words, maybe a minute or less. What is the takeaway for you? We'll put these questions on the screen. What is the takeaway for you from the Gospel of John? And what is an I will statement? Something that you're going to do as a result of our study in the Gospel of John as you continue to not just hear the Word of God, but to do what it says. I shared first. Who's going to share second? All right, Lisa. Thank you. It is on. Good morning. I've never talked for a minute or less or less in my entire All life. All right. We'll give you some grace. Lisa. Um, so there's so much in John, right? Um, just so much to take in. But I've always loved the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, even when I was younger. I just love the idea of Jesus just hanging out in the hot sun, knowing she was going to be there, intentionally being there just for that one person to um, encourage that person and share his news. And so I, I was went a little deeper with it and was just asking Jesus, why is that one on my heart? Why is that the one that you want me to go deeper with? And the whole idea of it was this woman was out in the hot sun at noon because she was a social outcast and she didn't want to run into anybody because she knew how she was perceived by the mainstream. And I'm I'm a mental health provider. I work kind of both gamuts. I work with kiddos um, who are struggling, and I also work in the the sessions, and then I also, also do hospice. So I'm in people's homes, right in the middle of their story. And I've always been um, somebody who wants to advocate for the underdog. I hate a bully. I, I, I want to connect with those that are, um, are struggling and disadvantaged. But I got to thinking about why that woman came to the well at noon and how people coming into our counseling center might feel about having, having to be there and see a counselor or a social worker. Social worker can be a dirty word, too. You all know that, right? Mm. Um, it's just really hard for us to walk in and receive when we're already feeling like an outcast. We're already feeling um, marginalized and judged. And so my challenge, my I will statement is that I'm going to talk less and just listen more and hear people's story and make sure that when they walk in, they don't feel broken and they don't need, they don't feel like they need to be fixed. They, they feel like they belong and they feel like they belong to Jesus. I'm going to look more for those opportunities too to share why they belong and who they belong to. Mm, so good. Thank you. So um, I've always loved the book of John because I feel like the disciple was more relational and that's why he called himself the the disciple that Jesus loved because he was able to receive that love maybe more than Peter. And I'm more of a Peter, so. But um, uh, 
John 19, 26 through 27, when Jesus gave his mother Mary to her spiritual son, um, John, that kind of impacted me this year. And, um, you know, it's probably, she, she had other sons. But if you look at John 7, 5, they didn't believe in Jesus. So you see that Mary was isolated. There was rejection from her other sons. She was alone at the cross. And so that's why Jesus had to give her probably to um, John, because it was her spiritual son. So that just made me emboldened. Maybe Brad thinks I'm already bold enough, but <laughs> um, emboldened to speak the truth um, to a culture that's really being led astray by deception. And also to encourage those mothers that have felt the rejection of a son or a daughter because they've stood for living for Jesus and stood for the truth. Thank you, Sharon. I'm a little nervous. Anytime man tries to interpret the word of God, he should do so with great fear and trembling, I think, especially if he's going to share it with others. At any rate, um, in the Gospel of Mark, a teacher of the law challenged or maybe even tested Jesus, asking him which was the greatest commandment. Jesus responded, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And another is like it, to love your neighbor as self. Now back to the Gospel of John. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. I'll call it the 11th commandment. He says, to love one another. And then he steps it up. He says, as I have loved you, love one another. By doing this, all people will recognize that you're, you're my disciples if you love one another. And I recognize that um, this is a higher level of love. This is a love that I cannot manufacture. This is a love that is divine. Uh, this is agape love. And, and so I question how can I love my brother and sister as Jesus did? Well, if you skip ahead two more chapters, Jesus gives you this promise and me this promise. And it's what Adrian spoke earlier. He said, I am the vine you are the branch. If you abide, if you, if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And so um, I, I will strive. See, I have this struggle, this battle going on inside of me to do things my way or, or Jesus' way. And so that looks to me like I need a surrender and submission and to invite Jesus to lead me because it's not me that produces this agape love it is Christ in me that produces it the question is will I let him that's what I got from the gospel of John Thanks, Paul. Hi, my name is Andrew, and I'm one of the ushers here. And when I got the email from Pastor Adrian on asking what we took away from John, the first thing I had to think, Pastor, was for those of you that weren't here, I think it was around Thanksgiving, he was talking about us being the salt of the earth. And 
you need to know your audience. He used a, a steak and he dumped salt all over it. <laughs> if you didn't know it, he's got this salt. He's like measuring it up and he's got this huge cup of salt. And he's talking about this flat iron. And, and for those of you that are around agriculture and know beef, you're looking at it. It's like, he's not going to dump the salt on that steak, is he? And he does take a Ziploc bag and just dumps it on there. And it's like, what are you doing, man? So every time I look at a steak now, that's all I'm thinking. is like, man, pastor just dumped steak all over it. Wow, so. we learned something important from John. You can't eat steak. Well, yeah, anyway. The one thing I took away, and just the wonderful thing to follow Brad, is I actually called Brad, asking him, what did you take away when I got the email? And what did you take away from it? And from what he just led in, in Luke chapter 13, 34, 35, is what I had written down. And that was one thing, is basically summed up as love God, love people. And, you know, I came from, you know, I thought I knew what love was, and then, you know, God allowed me to be broken and broken to a point where I had never known such pain. And when you know, I just came to the, the cross and I'm like, Lord, I can't do this. And um, so you, you start reading and you hear Jesus when he's on the cross and I'm going to cry. And he's, he's saying, Lord, forgive them. For they don't know what they do as they're nailing his hands to the cross. And I wanted to know a love like that. Because how do you do that? How do you pray for somebody? And so you just keep reading. And, and it says in Mark. Yes, uh, he's written, you know, back in Mark. And it leads to after, you know, John. In, in Mark five forty four, you know, Lord, will you teach me to pray for my enemies? Teach me to pray for those who persecute me. For those who, who truly follow Christ, for those who love Christ, as Jesus said, you will be persecuted because of your love for me, but I will not abandon you. And just the, the wonderful blessing about is, is pastor and the pastors here, we call it community. I didn't know what that was. And it doesn't matter who walks in those doors or however it is, we all carry pain and we all know that. And whether we know Jesus or whether we don't, the fact is that when you come to know um, Christ, you know that love, and you, you want to know more of it, and he's faithful. And so, God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. Hi, I'm Claire, and it's, this message stuck with me throughout the entire, like, gospel of John through these 10 months, and it was a message by Jordan, and he had a little light. He was trying to cover it with different items, and the light would be projected differently. And I just thought, I try to cover myself by saying I'm not as close to God. When I want, I know inside my relationship with God, but with society's standards, I try not to let it show. But from this gospel, I'm going to try to not let society say that I can't love God in the fullest. And I'm going to show him in every action I do. Awesome. Thank you, Claire. All right, we're going to do one or two more here. Just one or two more. Over here. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Zachary Weiss. Uh, one takeaway for me from the Gospel of John is John uses apoptic writing, which um, if you're wondering what apoptic writing is, um, God speaks through um, uh and speaks through someone to give his message um, to what to tell us. So it's a fut it's like a futuristic thing that will happen. Like um, 
the many persecutions that Christians will have and the hardships that we will be faced. And we should be prepared for um, what will come and do everything we possibly can to, um, to help others be strong in these hard times. And from the Gospel of John, I will, um, so what it does is it will help us strengthen our beliefs in God because everything he tells us is actually true and it um, tells us that we should um, not be afraid because he's with us and he will um, guide us through these hard times. So we should just be strong in our faith and he will be strong with us. Hmm. Well said, Jack. Well said. All right, one more here, and then we're going to wrap up and listen to some I am statements. Um, I'm going to go out on one and say that probably 99.9% .9 of you don't know me. Um, I started coming right before COVID hit, and then I um, attended online services with my son and daughter-in-law and their family in their home um, during last year. Uh, but anyway... Um, what struck me at the beginning of these, this study through John is that sometimes when you've been a Christian for a long, long time and you get those familiar scriptures and it turns into Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 I've heard that before. And so John 3.16 hit share because it was like, I took that time, like Pastor said, to abide in that scripture and just sat in it. And for God so loved, and over this year, that's kind of where I've been treading, is that God so loved the world, everybody. And I think that sometimes it's easy for church people to get hung up on they're not dressed right they don't smell right um, their living conditions maybe they're still an addict maybe they're not walking with the Lord but those are the people that Jesus came to save and I know that everybody in here has that story and so when we take John 3.16 and we say, God so loved the world, and that's what my I will statement is, I want to look at the world, my world, the people I run into, and I don't care if they're a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent or if they're vaccinated or not vaccinated. I'm called to love. I'm called to love my fellow brothers and sisters of this planet. And through God's love, he's going to bring them to the, the base of the cross. Not me, by any power in me. But I want to be that light that she talked about. I want to be his love in this world to break through to those people that are hurting and let them know there's people that really, really care. So... Okay, one last testimony, and then we're going to hear these seven I am statements of Jesus. Um, I'm from uh, this area originally, and whenever we're back, we get to come and visit. Um, one of the things that I took away was the very first.
first part where it said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he talks about being the light over and over. And uh, for far too long, uh, the Bible also says, uh, bring up your children in the way that they will go and they will never depart. Um, for far too long, I was raised, um, I would say I, would, I was raised with religion, but not necessarily faith-filled. And it wasn't until adversity hit and that strife came into my life personally that that's where, where do you turn? And I think, I think the challenge this year that has been hitting me over and over and over again is people telling me that the Bible is archaic, that the Bible is not the living, breathing breath of God, and that I want to be ready for when those moments come. I want to be that example to my children so that as long as we know the word, you guys, when that challenge comes, that, they're, that we are willing to take up that mantle no matter how hard via love and be that example that we can lead people through those difficult times when they say, what is it that makes you different when they look at us, when we go out into our community? And Lord knows I don't ever do that perfectly as, as my family can attest, but I'm trying to continue to grow and strive to do that as we progress through this life. So that was my challenge. Know the words so that we can be that light. morning. My name is Adam, and I'll be reflecting on the I am statement, I am the bread of life. Anxiety, fear, worry, despair, frustration. How will I make ends meet? Where will the money come from? What am I doing here? What does it even matter? What if I can't do it? What if I fail? What if I'm not enough? What if? What if? What if? Then they asked him, what what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John chapter 6, verses 28 through 35. Morning. I'm Andrea, and I get the honor of sharing how Jesus teaches, I am the light of the world. Reflecting over this past year, when I thought of Jesus being the light of the world, I found my pride exposed when I was convicted that I might be letting Jesus' light shine, but I was living in a very safe, comfortable bubble reflecting all of his life, giving light on myself and those close to me. Fear of confrontation prevented me from sharing his light with everyone. Now the light, all that goodness and hope and joy and serenity, it cannot come from me. At best, it can and should come through me but it can only come from Jesus. But I sometimes wonder if I'm a useful vessel. We all crave the light when we feel lost, frightened, desperate, or alone. I pray and struggle and hope that I can be bold enough and caring enough to share that light and spread that hope and to shine Jesus with absolutely everyone, not just those that I'm comfortable with. I'm going to read what Jesus said in John 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. morning. I'm Susie, and I am going to be reflecting on the the I am the gate statement. When I reflect on this passage, I think about how I am much like a sheep, and I am prone to wander, and I can wander um, to places that steal my my joy and my peace, and that could be self-reliance rather than um, leaning into him or comparing myself uh, to other people and their accomplishments. But Jesus um, calls me back to him, and he invites me through his way. And his way is a way of a full life, because I can find rest for my soul in him, and I can um, just stand in the knowledge that I am complete in him. So I'm going to read John 10, 7 through 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
Hello, I'm Carrie. And I reflected on what Jesus said when he said, I am the good shepherd. One takeaway this year that I have thought about is what it means to be a shepherd caring for others, as well as learning to simply be a sheep. It's actually not too hard to be a sheep. But unlike sheep, we have these human brains that can think about what we're thinking about. This is a beautiful feature of being a human creature, but it's also terrifying because it can lead to overthinking, anxiety, depression. And I'm prone to these things, especially when outside circumstances are heavy and feel unrelenting, as it has been for many of us. The only real remedy to this worldly strain and the unforeseen dangers of lurking wolves is to choose the same mode of sustenance and thriving that a sheep does with a good shepherd. That is to trust the competency and care of our owner, our very creator, and then to continually draw near, to abide, as it has been said many times, to learn his voice and to stay near to Jesus, the shepherd of our hearts and souls. In John 10, 11 to 18, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Good morning. My name is Dave, and I will be reflecting on Jesus' claim, I am the resurrection and the life. When Jesus heard that Lazarus, his friend, was sick, he said, this sickness will not end in death, and then Lazarus died. But that was not the end. No, because he also said it was for God's glory so that God's son would be glorified through it. And then four days later, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. God's glory was shown. Many of the witnesses of this resurrection believed that Jesus was the Son of God sent by the Father into the world. And so, as we usually read it, that's the end of the story. That's the end that Jesus was talking about. But I don't think it was. Let me explain. Have you ever, as you read through the Gospels, wondered what happened to some of those people that Jesus just met briefly and then you don't hear about them again? People like Nicodemus and Zacchaeus and a woman at the well and the woman who was caught in adultery. What happened to those people after their encounter with Jesus? Did Nicodemus get born again? 
Did the woman at the well drink of the living water? Did Zacchaeus spend the rest of his life gladly serving the poor? And did the woman caught in adultery go and sin no more? And what about Lazarus? What was his life like after he was raised from the dead? How was it different? Did he grow old and die again? Undoubtedly he did. We don't know that it was otherwise. And like his sister said, then he was raised, he will be raised again at the last day in the resurrection. But that's not the question I'm asking. The question I'm asking is based on what Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Two things, inseparable but different. Two things. And so my question is this. After Lazarus was raised from the dead, did he live? I don't mean physically, did he live? Did he truly come alive? Did he realize, did he say to himself, now this is living? What I was doing before, that was closer to dying. Before I was filled with fears and with worries and with guilt. Before my burdens were heavy. My responsibilities weighed me down and my circumstances determined how I thought, how I felt, and my attitudes. And like everyone else, I was afraid of death, especially my own. Spiritually, I was more dead than alive. And even if I had known that Jesus would raise me again from the dead, what good would it do if I just went back to the old way of life? No, I think Lazarus would say. No, Jesus did not just resurrect me. He didn't just restore my sickly body. He gave me life. He resurrected my sickly soul. I have seen his glory. I have heard his voice. I have felt his power. And I know his love. He's melted away my fears. He's dissolved my worries. He's forgiven my sins and my unbelief. And with him, my burdens are light. My responsibilities are easy. And next to Jesus' presence, circumstances are next to nothing. You see, I think the glory of God continues past the end of that story. And it did in Lazarus' life. His whole life long, everything he did after that, I think, was a continual witness to the truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I will be reading from John 11, chapters, or chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
Yes, Lord, she said to him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. My name is Matt. I'm going to be reflecting on Jesus' claim of I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when Jesus said this, it wasn't popular back in his day. And as we all know, still not a popular statement today. And we keep on hearing that we need to make our own way. We need to make our own truth and our own life. So we search. And we keep searching for something that will deliver us from the burden of shame that we feel from the Garden of Eden. Because it was then that sin entered the world and separated us from our Creator. So when Jesus makes this statement, he's saying, you cannot do this on your own, but it is through me. And you'll see an art piece from an artist in our church, Danny Gilsdorf. And it just really spoke to me. But no, I can't make my own way, my own truth, and my own life. Rather, it's Jesus with nail-scarred hands reaching and saying, it is through me. Will you accept my offer? I'm going to read from John 14, verses 5 through 6. Thomas' disciples said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Hello. My name is Jessica, and I'm going to be reflecting on the statement, I am the vine. To me, abiding in Christ has given me just hope and strength that I've never experienced before. So often I try to hold on to certain aspects of my life, thinking that my way is so much better. This past year, God has done and continues to do some major pruning in me. He's shown me that apart from him, I cannot bear fruit. Apart from him, I can do nothing. Through this, he continuously shows me that when I remain in him, he also remains in me. So now I try to welcome the pruning, pain and all, because I know that the result will be so much sweeter and my relationship with him will be so much better. I'm going to be reading from John 15, verses 1 through 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing.
What a beautiful God we serve. He is all of those things and more, amen? He's the vine. He's the shepherd. He's the gate. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the bread. He's living water. He is our God. What a joy it is to worship Him. We're going to stand together. We're going to sing about the great I am. Would you stand with me now and we'll pray and then sing together this song that's kind of been an anthem throughout the series as one of the distinctives of the Gospel of John is these seven I am statements. And so we've been singing I am. We've been singing the great I am. And we're going to wrap up our series now in the Gospel of John as we sing together. Let's pray. And I pray you can belt it out. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's very being. Should we ever wonder what God our Father is like, we look no further than Jesus. Jesus, you reveal to us the character of God. You reveal to us that God is good, that God is strong, that God is loving, that God is kind, that you are indeed worthy of all our worship. And so, Father, we thank you as we come to you in worship. We sing now saying, all that we have is from you and all that we have is for you. You are the great I am. Thank you for creating us and loving us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us. The only appropriate response is that we would say, all of my life for you. And so now we sing of your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 